Amen. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Woo. Yeah. There you go. It's a beautiful day. It's a sunny day. It's just like it would have been, you know, it was raining yesterday and the sun came out today. It's like uh, the weather knows what's going on on the Christian calendar, you know. Uh, today is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful, powerful thing when we understand the depth of despair of the crucifixion both for Jesus and for the disciples, then we can understand the glorious joy of the resurrection. And the the crucifixion showed God's justice and God's wrath. You know, our God is a God of justice. When there is a wrong that is committed, He will make it right. Did you know that? It's very true. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of God's wrath poured out. Even in the New Testament, you see God's wrath poured out. But the thing about the cross is that Jesus received God's wrath. He took the punishment for sin upon himself. So to understand the weight of it, think of Noah's flood. Think of fire and brimstone raining down and destroying cities. Think of plagues and all the judgments of God all falling on Jesus on that day at that moment. And he received it all and set us free from that judgment. And then Jesus rose from the grave showing God's love and God's power. Jesus overcame it all and we can too. The great thing about the resurrection story is that we have a peace in it. It isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago that's really neat that we get together to talk about. It's something that we have a part in. And so let's read Romans 6, 3 and 4, and we'll see the description of how the crucifixion and the resurrection applies to us. Here Paul is saying to the church in Rome, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we are participating in the crucifixion, crucified with Christ. The old is gone, and then, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here we see in Romans an obvious indication that this is not just about the afterlife. But resurrection life is for today. We live, we apprehend, we grab a hold of abundant life today and everlasting life in eternity. We fight for those things, we grab hold of those things, and that is the glory of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Today, we're going to talk about being a friend of God. As I was going through the scriptures and looking at different things and just kind of praying about and meditating on Holy Week, you know, you've got uh, Palm Sunday where Jesus rides into Jerusalem and is proclaimed king. Uh, Then you got the Last Supper and kind of the crowds turn. And then Jesus is uh, arrested and tried and flogged and crucified. And then the disciples were in utter, absolute, complete despair because they didn't understand about the resurrection. 
They just thought that an angry mob had killed their Lord and they were lost. Then Jesus rose and everything changed. But in looking through that, the Gospel of John has chapters of dialogue from the Last Supper. So this is the last time Jesus is together with his disciples before he's arrested. He's he's going to be crucified within 24 hours. And he's teaching many things to his disciples. Do you know, dying words are powerful. When someone has a short period of time to express something they've been carrying their whole life, you know it's worth listening. And so looking at what Jesus had to say at the Last Supper is powerful, powerful stuff. And when we look here into a a little dialogue that happened in the Last Supper, we see Jesus describe His relationship with His disciples. You know, we can have a real relationship with the living God. And we can have a variety of different types of relationships. You know, people are different and our relationship with God can ebb and flow and it can change over time and it can be uh, profoundly wonderful. It can be kind of strained or difficult. It can be absent uh, or present. So, you know, there are many types of relationships and nuances with our relationship with God. We can be a believer You know, believe in Jesus and what He's done. We can step up to be a worshiper of God. The Father seeks worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. We can be a disciple where we study the Scriptures and put those things into practice. We can be a servant. Jesus describes His disciples as servants. And a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. These are wonderful descriptions of our relationship with God. But Jesus uses a different word in John chapter 15, and it's the word friend. Let's look at John 15, 12 through 15, and see if we can't get a hold of this. Jesus is speaking at the Last Supper. My command is this, love each other. As I have loved you. Why would they need to love each other? Because they're about to go through something. They're going to need one another. They're going to need to stand together. Each one of us goes through things too. We need each other. We need to stand together. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus, of course, he's talking about the crucifixion that is about to happen in the next 24 hours. And he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Here he says he's laying down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. So the disciples have progressed from servants to friends. 
Jesus calls them friends. And he is very specific. He keeps saying it to make sure that it sinks into them. That, okay, I used to just tell you what to do. Now we're friends. What a powerful, powerful relationship that's possible between a human being and the Alpha and the Omega. To be friends. I got to tell you, this is something that's difficult for my heart to understand. I can understand being a worshiper of God. I can understand being a servant. I can understand being a disciple. I can understand sacrifice. Friendship is another thing. How does that exactly work? We're going to dive into that. Now, a friend relationship with Jesus What kind of relationship do most people have with God? It's not like that. I think that, you know, unfortunately, in our society, I would think most people's relationship with God, if they believe in God, is similar to a relationship a second grader has with the school principal. You know, remember second grade? Do you remember the principal? If you had the opportunity to visit the principal in the principal's office, was that a good thing? Were you friends with the principal? You know, not so much. It was, I'm trying to live my life and not be noticed by the principal. I'm trying to do the things I want to do, and maybe the principal doesn't see what's going on, but I certainly don't want to have an interaction because I know it's going to be bad. I know I'm going to be in trouble. And too many people worry about God in that sense of, I don't want to get in trouble. But here we read that Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And if I can be a friend of God, oh man, I want to grab hold of that. Because that is a powerful relationship that is way better than the relationship between a second grader and the principal. Now there are two conditions that Jesus gives for being his friend in John chapter 15. So his friendship with Jesus conditional. I always loved looking at the crowd in these moments. <laughs> Here's the deal. Jesus will always be your friend. There's nothing you can do that Jesus won't be your friend. The question is, are you a friend of his. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend to everyone. Jesus has sacrificed not just for the friends like described in John 15, but he has sacrificed for everyone. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Jesus, friend of sinners. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So Paul here is talking to people who have turned their lives over to Christ, but they're still kind of worried that God might be mad at them. And he's saying, hey, if Jesus died for you when you were a sinner, how much more do you think he likes you now? 
Just relax. It's going to be okay. He's on your side. But there's a word in verse 10 here that's very different from the word friend. For if, when you were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When we were God's enemies, being a friend of God is not the same as being an enemy of God. When we reject the ways of God, when we push away the ways of God, when we refuse to follow the commands of God, the plans of God, then we thwart what God is trying to do and we become enemies of God, whether we understand that or not. But it's very important to recognize that Jesus is a friend even to his enemies. And if you are afraid, you know, some people, I, you invite them to church, they say, I can't go to church, I'd burst into flames. No, <laughs> it's not going to work like that. Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been. He loves and has sacrificed even for his enemies. But the question is, are you going to remain his enemy or are you going to become a friend? So what are the conditions? How do we come become a friend of God? In John 15, Jesus gave two conditions for being his friend. John 15, 14, that we read a little bit ago. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, doesn't that have a nice religious feel to it? You know, wouldn't you like to have friends like that? Just do what I say all the time. You can be my friend. Now, this is a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient condition. You know, if you have a friend who keeps ruining your life, you need to not be their friend anymore, right? If you have a friend who's toxic, if you have a friend who is ruining what you're trying to do, it's hard to be their friend. I've got a funny story about uh, one time I went grouse hunting. And I had walked this trail, and I'd seen a bunch of grouse, and I'm like, man, i got to get a shotgun. So I went and got my shotgun, and my brother happened to be there. He's from Alaska, but surprisingly enough, he is not much of an outdoorsman, (laughs) even though he's from Alaska. And so he's like, oh, hey, I'll go with you. I'm like, yeah, well, you don't have a license. You know, you don't have a shotgun. He's like, oh, no, that's fine. I'll just walk with you. You can hunt. I'll just go with you. Like, okay, great. So we're going down the trail, and he's talking, you know, like really loudly. I'm the quiet one. He's the loud one. And so his arms are flailing, and he's telling stories. I'm like, shh. He's like, oh, okay, okay. And then, boom, into the next story, and 50 yards away in the brush, you know, they go like, oh, well, it's, and then quiet, man. We're not going to get anything unless we walk quietly. Okay, okay, okay. And then got just as loud. I mean, we never got within 50 yards of a grouse. They're flying away. Finally, halfway through, I'm thinking to myself, I got two choices. I cannot be his friend anymore or I can give up on hunting. And we're just going to go for a walk. And I happen to have a shotgun. And so we just, 
we just went for a walk and had a nice time. <laughs> However, if I needed to feed my family, and this was really, really important to me, it would be hard to be that person's friend, right? Because they're wrecking what you're trying to do. And so disobeying the commands of God wrecks what God's trying to do. And so it isn't that he's a control freak or something like that. It's just that it's hard to be friends with someone who ruins what you're trying to do. Second condition is to know his master's business. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So a servant is told, be quiet. But he doesn't know why. A servant is given a command. Thou shalt not whatever. I don't know why. But I know if I do that, I'll get in trouble. Like the second grader in the principal concept. I don't want to get in trouble. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So a friend understands the why behind the command. The friend goes from be quiet while we're hunting. You need to be quiet to, all right, where are the best trails? Where, where are the grouse? Where's the population up at? Maybe we can, you know, and, and gets the vision for what's happening and then participates rather than just following commands, trying not to get in trouble, but now becomes a friend and you have a hunting buddy instead of someone you have to just tell what to do. And here Jesus is saying to his disciples, I used to just tell you what to do. But now you're getting it. <laughs> now you're catching the vision. Let's go forward as friends fighting together for a common cause. So with the second grader and the principal analogy, it would be like this. You remember second grade? Some of you were... Are, are there any second graders in here? Ah, I remember second grade. You know what the best thing about second grade was? Shooting spitballs at girls. <laughs> right? Isn't that the best thing about second grade? Because you get to shoot spitballs at girls, which is worth it just for that. But then your friends are like, wow, nice job, man. You know, like, and, and, and you impress your friends. And so your friends think you're cool. Plus you get to shoot spitballs at girls. And it's a fantastic thing. Now, what is the rule in second grade? Thou shalt not shoot spitballs at girls or boys or anybody because it's against the rules. And the second grader then can go, oh, and just be mad and then not shoot spitballs. But what if the second grader, instead of just grudgingly following a rule, caught the vision of education, the value of education? 
what it would mean to bring a child up, giving them the tools to succeed in life and recognizing that it's a ticking time bomb because pretty soon the responsibilities of adulthood are going to happen. And if you don't have the tools by then, you're pretty much stuck where you're at. So second grade is really important because if you can't count and learn your grammar and these sorts of things in second grade, then you're going to have trouble all the way through and your life is going to be hard. So I'm not going to shoot spitballs because I've caught the vision for education. Completely different thing. That second grader would be a friend of the principal. And the question is, can we catch the vision of the commands of God, of the purposes of God, of the plans of God? If we can catch the vision and not just try to do what we're told and not get in trouble, we can go from servant to friend. Catching it? I think this is a big deal. Let's read the greater context of John 15. Let's start in verse 5. Again, this is at the Last Supper. What a powerful moment. He's calling his disciples friends. He's saying, I've shared everything with you. You know the strategy. You know the purpose, not just the rules. So he's telling them various things. What's the vision of it? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now the second grader needs to hear that. If you do that, you'll be sent to the principal's office and you'll probably get detention. <sighs> you know, oh, I better straighten up. don't want to get in trouble. But the person who catches the vision is more interested in what happens. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the one who catches the vision is if I bear fruit for the kingdom of God, then it demonstrates the glory of God. How many people have ever been in a spot where you needed a friend? And a good Christian friend came and helped you through a difficult time. And then you recognized what God could do for you in that moment. And God was glorified. This is to my Father's glory. When we catch the vision, we realize that God is glorified. Good things happen when his people abide in the vine and it spreads to other people. Now, John 15, 8 is very different from Romans 3, 23. Let's look at that one. It's a common scripture. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Have you heard that one before? All of sinned. What's the consequence? You can be forgiven, but the glory of God is diminished. You can be forgiven for talking while you're grouse hunting, but you still don't get any grouse. The thing that God wanted to see happen still doesn't happen. You can be forgiven for speaking harshly to your wife, but it still hurts the relationship. You can be forgiven by God for breaking commands, but the vision behind the command is thwarted. All have sinned 
And that causes us to fall short of the glory of God. God's glory is diminished. We want God's glory to increase. When we bear fruit, God's plans come forth and God is glorified. When we sin, God's plan is subverted and his glory is suppressed. So Jesus had said, love one another. When church people love one another, something awesome happens. There is a fellowship, there is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a bond that allows us to walk together through the difficulties of this life without being alone. God's command, love one another, means that if we followed it, no one would ever have to be alone ever again on this planet. But instead, of course... Church people fight with each other and there's strife and church splits and all kinds of goofiness. And then God's glory does not come and we fall short of the glory of God. And the vision is thwarted. So when we bear fruit for God's kingdom, God's plan comes forth. God is glorified. When we sin, God's plan is subverted and his glory is suppressed. Let's keep reading in John, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Again, Jesus knew they would be going through some difficult things. So he wanted to make sure they would stand together. They were going to go through hardships that they didn't expect. They were going to go through spiritual crisis that they didn't expect. They were going to be tested. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that they would stand together. Love each other. Let's keep reading and we'll see why they needed to love each other. Next verse, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Was there going to be opposition to the things of Jesus very, very shortly? Yeah, the soldiers came at the end of the dinner. Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Did you know there's a spiritual battle in this life? The things of God are resisted by our culture, by cultures all over the world throughout time. 
when we step into that battle and we take a stand for Christ, it's really nice to have some people that got your back. It's really nice to be part of a loving community that lets you make mistakes but still loves you through it and is there to support you. They were going to go through a very, very strong persecution. And so Jesus was setting them up to succeed through it. And then the last piece of this verse I really like, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. That means that when we step out for Christ, there will be people who don't like that. But there will also be people who are like, tell me more about this Jesus. There will be people that come in. There will be people that are ready. The harvest is plentiful. So hallelujah for that. Don't let the negative side that there's persecution and, you know, somebody might look at you funny. It's America. Not a lot of martyrs in America. It can happen. But usually people just look at you funny and don't like you as much. And that's enough of a deterrent for most of us. But hey, heaven and hell are in the balance. Let's step into this fight. Now, I want to talk about Thomas for just a couple minutes. Thomas is one of the disciples. And Jesus said, love each other while Thomas was there. And they all went through crisis. You know, after Jesus said, love each other, that's after that, Peter denies the Christ. After that, they scatter and run when the, when the soldiers and swords and torches show up. After that, Jesus is abandoned. And after that, Jesus rises from the grave and brings his group back together. And Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead, but before he ascended to the Father, and he demonstrated that he was alive, except the first time he did it, Thomas wasn't there. He apparently had something he needed to do and missed the prayer meeting. And the ten, because Judas wasn't there, the ten were there, Thomas was missing, Jesus appears to the ten, giving Thomas a great opportunity to be the disciple who believed without being shown. Did he take that opportunity? Let's read John chapter 20, starting in 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So the ten... All ten of them said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. What is Thomas doing? He's denying the resurrection. Is that a problem in Christian circles? That would be what we would refer to as a theological error. It's, it's a heretical mistake. To deny the resurrection. On the witnesses of ten people you've been living life with, all ten of them said we saw it. He's like, you people are nuts. That sort of stuff doesn't happen. I've seen people die and then they're just dead. So leave me alone. I won't believe it unless I see it myself. Would that create some tension in church circles? If somebody were to say something along those lines. 
Jesus had said, love each other. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Don't let that sentence go by too fast. Was Thomas welcome after he denied the resurrection? Absolutely. They were still friends. They're still doing church together. Isn't that amazing? Thomas was not kicked out of the group. Infidel, unbeliever, get out! He denied the resurrection. He didn't believe all ten of them. (laughs) And they're like, ah, Thomas, he'll come around. (laughs) Come on, let's just keep loving him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my, so- into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. minute. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus gave Thomas an opportunity to receive a greater blessing than the other ten. Some get to see, some get evidence of the power of God, some get divine intervention. And then there are others who have the opportunity to be blessed by believing without seeing. If you are one of those who has that opportunity that Thomas had, do not let it go. Do not miss the opportunity to believe without having seen. I will testify, the Lord is risen. Believe me, Jesus is alive. His crucifixion is sufficient for you to have all of your sins forgiven, no matter if you believe that or not. It is sufficient. Accept it, and you will be forgiven. And Jesus is risen. We can rise with him into newness of life all the way to being a friend of Jesus when we catch the vision and we get on board with what he's doing and we fight for his causes and his purposes and we can receive everlasting life. Believe it and become a friend of God. The last question I've got before we pray is simply this. Are you in? Jesus needs more friends. He's a friend to you. Will you be a friend to him? Will you walk in his ways, get to understand why, and fight for the cause? Let's pray together, and then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, it doesn't matter what the need is, come get prayer. You want to start a relationship with Jesus? Come get prayer. You need a physical touch, a healing. You need a relationship restored. You need a financial miracle. You just need a blessing from God. Come get prayer. doesn't matter what the need is, but right now let's pray together and just give proper honor to the living God.
Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We honor you. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe that you called your disciples friends. Lord, we know you are a friend of us, but we want to be a friend to you. We want to see your ways and walk in them. We want to understand the purpose, the vision behind why you make these different rules. We want to know. And so, Lord, help us to see that we can catch the vision. We can catch the plan and be part of it. Not just a servant. Not acknowledging you from a distance. But walking with you, walking in your purposes and being your friend. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be in our hearts. And Lord, that we would be able to receive your love fully and completely so that we would have extra love to share with those who are difficult in our lives. So bless us in this way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.